Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. Welcome to Delving to Draft. This is episode 36, recorded the 21st of August 2013. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Dan! Woo. Yay, news! From the Vault 20 is released this Friday. Now, time to make everybody jealous. How many are you getting, Dan? Four. And I'm getting three and Liz is getting one. So, four each. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get that place out of Jace. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, it has been, what, an uh, extra week since we last recorded, so there's plenty of news to go through. Last week, Born of the Gods was announced. Apparently, this is going to be the second expansion in the Theros block, which has yet to even come out with its first expansion. So, yay for retelling us news we already knew about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like the official announcement. Did, did they not tell you stuff like the size of the set and everything? Yeah, they basically told us all the information, and now we know basically all the information. But, but, but they did show us the expansion symbol. Yeah, that's they, what they usually do, yeah. Before they actually showed us the Theros expansion symbol, officially. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a bit unusual. Um, Joe Dex Heroes vs. Monsters was also fully spoiled last week, so we now know... The full deck lists, so we know everything which is going to be coming out uh, in Heroes and Monsters, but we also got six preview cards, or six preview cards uh, which will be in Theros, and we've now seen all of them. So, uh, Polku Kranos, I want to go with, the World Eater, um, is the foil mythic for the Monsters deck, and it's a legendary Hydra 5-5 for two green and a green. And it shows the new monster mechanic which will be coming out in Theros, so... Um, Oh, in this particular instance, Polukranos has XX green uh, to get Monstrosity X, and this means if a creature isn't already monstrous, you put X plus one plus one counters on it, and it becomes monstrous. And then it says, when Polukranos World Eater becomes monstrous, it deals X damage divided as you choose amongst any number of target creatures your opponents control. Each of those creatures then deals damage equal to its power to Polukranos. Now, the important thing to note here is that monstrosity and this ability to do damage are separate. So monstrosity as a mechanic is just adding counters onto it and making the creature monstrous. And then obviously monstrous will do different things based on the card it's on. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of open to interpretation, isn't it? Because I'd kind of, if the, the guy's actually a 5-5 five, five for four mana, so I'd, I'd say he was monstrous already myself. And think about <laughs> it. The turn after, if you do not hit your fifth land, you can pay 1-1 one, one, and green, and make him a 6-6. Six, six. Yeah. In the worst case scenario, he's going to be a 6-6 six, six a turn after he comes out if you want to invest the three man uh, into it. If you get your fifth land, you can make him a 7-7. Seven, seven. And he's dealing 7 damage. Um, I believe it's the number of counters it deals, though. So it's a little bit less powerful. In that it'll only do oh, 2 damage divided. Oh, yeah. So it's a little bit less powerful, but, I mean, still. <laughs> what more could you want? It's a 4 mana 5-5. Five, five. It's a four mana five five, which is going to get bigger. It I is a bit of a steam here. Yeah, <laughs> strictly better, I think, than Deadbridge Goliath. Yes. Awesome. I'm glad we agreed. Cool. Uh, the next card is Anax and Semede. Semede. Oh, this is going to yeah. be so much fun Semide. trying to pronounce Greek esque words. It's going to be horrible for the Probably. next year. Uh, it'll be sim. Simi-D or Simi-D? 
this is a legendary creature, human soldier, though I think it's the second time we've seen a pair of creatures on one card. Like mm-hmm. Tibor and Aluma was, I think, the first one. Uh, one... Well, that, that was the first named one. I mean, you've yeah. got, got other pairs, but yeah, the first time that they've had two named cards, two yeah. named creatures, it's awesome. Yeah, so it's uh, one red and white for a 3-2 legendary creature human soldier with first strike and vigilance. So I'm yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. It also shows off um, the hero mechanic, which is not actually a fixed mechanic. It's got the heroic ability word, I think is the correct term. Key- ability word? That sounds about right. Anyways, it's a bit like um, Battalion or Fateful Hour, where it just sort of ties in similar stuff. So the idea yeah. is, whenever you cast a spell that targets this card, that's what heroic means, effectively, uh, creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain trample to end a turn. So that's the part which is unique about Anax and the Queen. <laughs> They're the king and queen, I know that much. So, the king and queen, yeah, when when they get targeted by a spell, all your guys get plus one, plus one, and trample. Yeah, that just seems like all upside. I mean, it's already good, so... Yeah, it's already good, so, yeah. And it's only a rare, it's, it's not a mythic like Polychronos is, so... That's um, insane. Yeah, this is looking good. Now, uh, the other cards we've got are maybe not so interesting, but we do have... Um, Cavalry Pegasus, it's one and a white for a 1-1 one, one with flying, which is eh. However, whenever it attacks, each attacking human gains flying until end of turn. Now, if there's enough humans, this is going to be pretty nuts. Yeah, and it's a common. It's going to be pretty easy to get. Yeah. Um, the next card is Ordeal of Perthoros. It's one and a red for an aura, which enchants a creature. Whenever the enchanted creature attacks, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and then if it's got three or more plus one, plus one counters on it, then you sacrifice or deal of poor Thoros. Oh, I hate these words. Uh, when you sacrifice <laughs> this card, it deals three damage to target creature or player. So assuming you get your full value out of it, a creature's going to be three times, well, three counters on it, and it's going to do three damage, which is pretty awesome. I really like the design there. Like, it's not really easy for it to actually get full value. So it's quite nice that when it does, it's it's really good. Yeah. But it makes you kind of get there. And it's obviously risky in that it's an enchantment in the first place. So sometimes you'll not even get anything out of it. Yeah. Um, Satyr Hedonist is the next card. It's one and a green for a 2-1 Satyr. Red, sacrifice it. Add red, red, red to your mana pool. It's a bit like Orcish Lumberjack. It's uh, an older card, yeah. I think. Is I, that the one? Uh, There's something similar anyway that you can sacrifice for mana. Yeah. It gets used in some combo decks. Now, it's a bit hard to sort of judge this on its own. Like, are we wanting to ramp? Is it worth the ramp? Is green and red two colours which work well together? We just don't mm. have the context to work out of this yeah. good or not, I think, at this point. It's pretty much impossible to tell. I mean, it might just be like a battle hymn or something like... Yeah, okay. In some decks it might be good, but generally it's not. Yeah, I don't know. Now we do actually have a red and a green card next to it. Uh, Destructive Revelry is an instant. Destroy target artifact or enchantment, then it deals two damage to that permanence controller. Uh, that's that's a really nice sideboard card for Gruel Agro decks in standard, um, and it seems really kind of versatile for draft as well, so that's quite nice. Yeah, I mean, the question... I mean, obviously we've just come off of a gold set. Um, it's a question of how often are we going to be playing these gold cards? Like, we know there are going to be gold cards, evidently, because we've already seen two, but how often are we playing in this colour? Like, these two colours together? Yeah, I think it's quite 
it could go either way. I mean, I know that they're trying not to have it be a, a massively multicolored set or anything, but I mean, there's already, that's two out of six cards are multicolored, so. Yeah, there's one a rare, one at uncommon, which I would expect uh, at least a cycle of each, maybe. Maybe just five enemy, five ally colored, so maybe just the ten gold cards, but. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it could quite well be um, ten gold cards, five enemy uh, rare, and five allied at uncommon. Yeah. I mean, that, that is pure speculation, but yeah. Yeah. A little bit of speculation never harmed anyone. Uh, uh, well, um, maybe it did. <laughs> now, there are four other cards which are reprints, which are getting new artwork. It's uh, Fires of Yavimaya, Miraculous Recovery, Beast Within, and Griffin Guide. And both Beast Within and Griffin Guide are getting uh, tokens. So, yeah. Um, you missed one, but that's probably because you mentioned it on a different show. Oh, the Sun Titan. Spartan! Spartan Sun Titan. Just <laughs> the giant Spartan. He, it, it, it is amazing, and that is also the, that's a foil mythic for the Heroes deck. But yeah, I think I mentioned that before, but yeah. Yeah, it was in a previous show, but it's a really cool, cool artwork. I want that card. It's, it's the whole reason I want this deck, these decks at the moment. Yeah, it does look pretty hot. Now, uh, this will be coming out on the 6th of September. It will be available in English and Japanese, and it will be $20. Or at least the MSRP is $20, so. Yeah, it usually tends to be about that for dual decks. Most places don't tend to sell them at higher, because they've not really got that many chase cards in them. Nah. Unlike some other sets. <laughs> yeah. The Empty Duo Community Cup is forthcoming. I think I said that's coming at PAX, which I believe is the end of August, beginning of September. Don't quote me on that. I think I may have said last week, possibly the week before, that, oh, you know, Wizards are just going to field absolutely everybody as their team because that's what they did last year and it gives them a better chance of winning if everybody gets a play. Apparently, I'm totally wrong about this. They have actually announced their team and it is a fixed number, it is not just like 50 or 60 individuals. So um, the Wizards team is comprising of Aaron Forsythe, the Senior Director of R&D, Alexis... Oh, sorry, you want to say something? I was just going to say, well, that's a name that I recognise at least. <laughs> I find usually when you go through the uh, Wizards team, there's only around three or four names at the absolute most that I'll recognise. I think so. I recognise... I would say I recognise eight out of the nine, actually. But wow, doesn't mean I know them terribly that's well. Quite a lot. <laughs> the next name on the list is Alexis Jansen, who was the lead designer for Dragon's Maze, mm. and she also won the first great designer search, I believe. Oh, okay. Yes. Although it has taken her quite a while to actually get a lead on a set, but that eh. makes me wonder why I haven't heard that name. Brian Clinton, who is the le- uh, lead, the lead, a lead on the Wizards Online Response Crew, or the Orcs, who exist on the old MTGO client, but not the new one, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I don't think there's any chat rooms in the new one, is there? Not not really, no. I mean, I've not noticed. I've not used it. I've stuck to the old one myself, so... Yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, you you won't recognise the names of the orcs anyway, because they've all got, like, different names in the in the cl- uh, chat client anyway. Yeah. Like, Callisto or something, and stuff like that. Dave Humphreys is the next one. He is a developer. He is also um, on the Hall of Fame, Proto Hall of Fame, uh, having been inducted in its second year in twenty in twenty oh six in two thousand and six. Two thousand and six. There we go. <laughs> Don't know why I went for twenty oh six. That's very twenty oh six. We're living in the future. It is the year twenty oh six. 
Um, Mike Turian, hopefully a name you would recognize, the digital product manager for Magic Online. He tends to do most of the announcements on the mothership, I think, for Magic Online. Yeah, I think I've seen his name on there once or twice. Uh, Ryan Spain, he's a digital uh, designer in R&D. See, this one I do know. Yeah. Next is Sam Stoddard, who's a developer for Dragon's Maze, and he's also been posting recently on the Mothership. I think he's got one of the weekly articles on there, though I can't remember which one. Uh, I don't think I've seen them. I've, I've kind of not been keeping up with the Mothership articles very often. Yeah, this is why big news thing, because I know some people just don't read, and this is why we do the news to fill everyone in, basically. That makes sense. Um, Sean Gibbons is the Associate Community Manager... Finally, uh, Worf Woolpart is an executive producer for Digital Magic. He's basically in charge of Magic Online, yeah, and apparently things which he yet can't talk about, and who knows, maybe not even see the, this light of day, but who knows. Hmm. Intriguing. So yeah, those are the nine. So, um, they will be battling it out at PAX against our community team, as mentioned last week, or last episode. Now, also in this announcement, um, there was the announcement of the stakes. For those who aren't familiar, whenever the community team wins, we all get awesome promos as long as you logged in during sort of the time when the community cup was taking place. Okay. And if we lose, then we get terrible, terrible cards. Um, what was last year's again? It was some unplayable land, wasn't it? I've, I, I don't even know. It was It was some horrific land. It was one of the worst cards ever made, according to... Mark Rosewater, but anyways, um, should we win? Should the community team win, I should say? Everyone who logs in uh, between uh, the community cup times, I think it's Friday, August the 30th to Saturday, August 31st, between certain times, whenever the community cup is going on, um, if the community cup team wins, we'll get a premium foil Sliver Queen promo and the Rakdos Cactular FNM promo. But if they fail and the Wizards team happens to win for a second year in a row... A, that would be a travesty, and B, we will get a premium foil promo of Totally Lost. <laughs> because we will have Totally Lost. Uh, the, the line they have there was, one that will remind them of the outcome every time they read it. Uh, I found the card from last year, by the way. Which was? Sorrow's Path. That's it. Yes. <laughs> a land which doesn't even produce mana. And and as you, it's it's the card that when you just read through it, every time you like read a new part of the card, it just gets worse and worse and worse. <laughs> it, it is dire. I mean, at least totally lost is playable and cute. True, but uh, it has fibble fit. What more would you want? Exactly. Um, today, uh, day of recording, the Planeswalker Guide to Theros Part One has come out, so there's plenty of pretty pictures there. Um, the names of all the gods have been shown. Uh, slightly more interestingly, each of the gods' weapons of choice seem to be shown as separate artwork, so it looks like we may be getting legendary equipment. At the very least, I imagine we're getting equipment, which are representing these weapons. Sounds nice. And uh, we also get the expansion symbol th- for Theros, so congratulations to putting that one out after the expansion, after its expansion symbol was out. Yeah. Not, not having a go there at the timing, or the fact that Wizards should stop previewing things far too far in advance. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what is the thing supposed to be? Um, the expansion symbol. Yeah, that's... Is it just some kind of altar? I... I don't know. I don't know what that's meant to be. Yeah. I wonder if we'll find out. If you want to have a look, it's at the bottom of the Planeswalker's Guide Part 1. Yeah, I've got it up, but it doesn't tell you what it is. Yeah. I... Just... Yeah. I mean, apparently there's three 
major sort of areas of like cities and stuff. So yeah, it could represent the three cities. Yeah, I don't know. We shall find out. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, also announced today on Magic Online, there's now going to be Modern Master Mondays for the month of September. So every two hours uh, on Mondays in September, there will be 64-player Modern Master Top 8 Premier Phantom Drafts, which basically means um, you pay either 15 event tickets or 6 event tickets and 15 Phantom Points, which is what Cube points, uh, cube tickets used to be called. And you get entered into a single round elimination event. It is six rounds. If you go 3-0, and you'll get into the top eight draft. And if you happen to win that, you'll get 300 phantom points, <sighs> which is ridiculous. Six qualifier points, which is also pretty awesome. But you also get one copy of From the Vault 20. Oh, ma'am, I don't need another copy. <laughs> this will be digital, admittedly. Oh. And not redeemable, uh, which is a big point. They also make up with the From the Vaults online. Probably not redeemable. Good point. <laughs> but yeah, if you happen to win one of these things, you will get a From the Vault 20 amongst the other ridiculous prizes, let's be honest. That's a lot of phantom points. It is. It's also a very difficult event to win, though. Hmm. Winning two, you have to win two drafts consecutively. So, good luck to anyone who decides to enter them. Yeah. Um, there, there, of course, are other prizes for people who don't, say, come in first, but... Um, yeah, does it not go all the way down to, like, 16th place, or... Uh, it goes all the way further? down to 64, so even if you enter and fail miserably, you still get you three still get something. Points. Wow. Um, How generous. Yeah. To, to break even... Well, actually, you're still using event tickets, so yeah, I don't think you can break even properly. No, I, I'm not sure. I think... I've got no idea how much phantom points are worth in comparison to uh, event tickets, but the fact that you can't trade them back makes it a bit difficult. Yeah, so phantom points, yeah, are not going to be tradable on, like, cube tickets. Um, yeah, so you can only ever use them to enter other phantom events, like cube draft and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this. So if you win one, you can play lots more. And uh, final piece of news. Um, PAX Prime is uh, August the 30th to September the 2nd. There we go. So um, Mag- uh, Magic will be there. Wizards will be there promoting Magic. Uh, there will be an exclusive pin you can collect. There will be exclusive promo cards, which is Chandra's Fury to collect. You can get a pair of Chandra goggles. The Community Cup will obviously be going on. And there will be <laughs> the Theros preview party. This is basically the first time we're going to actually see, well, I would say Theros cards, but I guess we just saw a few in yeah, Monsters. But we'll see a, a kind of chunk of them. Like, I imagine they'll reveal one of the gods and stuff like that. So. I would be very surprised if they didn't. So, yeah. yeah. This will be happening on Saturday between uh, 7 and 11 p.m. Now, because this is PAX Prime, this is in Seattle, so this is the West Coast. GMT minus 8. Could be 9 uh, yep. this time of year, I'm not sure. 8 or 9. Yeah. Um, I think it's 9 at the moment. There will also be the Theros World Building panel. That's from half one to half two on Sunday. It will be streamed on Twitch TV on the PAX stream. I'm not sure if Wizard's stream will also be running it, but it will be on the PAX stream. Um, so we'll also hear more about Theros there, and undoubtedly some more cards will be previewed, although I imagine most of them will be shown on the Saturday. And will be all over the Twitters and the Facebooks and everything. Yeah, it'll be pretty hard to miss them if you're online, to be fair. Yeah, and hopefully if it's anything like last year, then um, Nathan Holt of Walking the Plains will be there doing silly videos for everything, because that Yay. was one of the best parts about <laughs> the Return to Ravnica party. was uh, him going in character yeah. for all five of the guilds and trying to be excited about these cards. It was great. <laughs> yeah, it's quite unusual. Um, 
Right, that that is the news done. We can close that book and move on to name that card. We. <laughs> so shall we do Theros cards? Okay. Let's do that way in a moment. <laughs> There's only six, so it may be a little bit easy. We'll see. <laughs> I think that's probably a bit too easy. Oh, okay. Ruining my fun. <laughs> uh, I have a card in front of me. Okay, then. Okay. Um, this card is... Jason Mind Sculptor. <laughs> it's not Jason Mind Sculptor. <laughs> Uh, oh wait, you don't have a Jason Mind Sculptor, do you? Uh, you can't have it in front of me. Unless you mean on the computer. I may mean in front of me, I may mean on the computer. <sighs> Damn it, no no free clues there. <laughs> this is a rare. Chromatic Lantern. Not Chromatic Lantern. This yeah. is a creature. Um, Carnival Hellsteed. Not Carnival Hellsteed. Uh, this card does have black in the mana cost. Uh, Corpse Jack Menace. Not Corpse Jack Menace. Uh, this card only costs a meagre three mana. Three mana. Hmm. Uh, Underworld Connections. I already said it was a creature. Oh, dang it, you did. It's um, a warrior, in fact. A warrior? A warrior! Okay, that's, that's kind of thrown me off. I was about to say that her necromancer, but, um, I black warriors. I don't think that's a, yeah, necromancer's probably a wizard, I would imagine. Yeah, a human wizard, I think. Um, Hmm. I don't remember very many recent warriors. Okay. Uh, this warrior has intimidate. Okay. Hmm. And it is rare, so I should have at least seen it at some point. Is it a recent-ish card? I would say so. Hmm. Really like um, power and toughness. Yes, please. I'm drawing blanks. Okay. Um, so let's just go over the facts. It's a rare creature, which is a warrior. It has black in the mana cost. It is three mana. It has intimidate, and it is a three-one. No, no. Is life being zombie a warrior? Life being a zombie is a zombie warrior. Wow, that is cool. There you go. I never knew he was a warrior. He is a warrior. <laughs> he's got a he's got a like great axe or at least a battle axe. Ah, man, it was a warrior that threw me off because I just totally didn't think of anything recent being a well, warrior. I, I knew if I mentioned zombie, it would have been far too obvious. Well, yeah, it probably would have. But went for warrior, of course. Yeah, when you said warrior, I just like instantly assumed it would be like a, a human warrior or something. That was, zombies can be warriors too. Zombies can also be minotaurs. Yes, they can. They can. <laughs> or is it minotaurs can be zombies? A zombie minotaur is the ordering, so you tell me. Nah. <laughs> Um, I concur. Okay. <laughs> okay. I... Right, I'm going to get the card in front of me. I'm thinking of one, I just need to get it in front of me. This may be a little bit of an easy one. Awesome. We'll see. Awesome, I like easy. Okay. This is a card. That is a good start. Is it a magic card? It is a magic card. Yeah! <laughs> I win! Woo! Woo! Okay. It is blue. Elite Arcanist. No, but it is a rare. Um, Traumatize. Nope, just like your one, it's a creature as well. Uh, is it the blue Suntail Hawk? That would be Gale Rider Slipper for those who don't get <sighs> the joke. Yeah, you got it. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Yeah, 
That's a bit of an in-joke, the fact it's a blue suntail hawk, and that's why I thought you may have went for that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's why I thought it may have been a little bit easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think you won that one. Boom. Uh, we're, we're not keeping score. Maybe we need to start keeping score. Maybe we should, but not with this week. Oh, what a surprise. It's a fresh start next week. <laughs> well, as long as we remember, then it can be a fresh start next week. That's fine. Yeah, that works. Cool. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've won the last one or two, so... I, I, I can't yeah. remember. All I remember was my victory just now. <sighs> well, at least you live in the moment. That's the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Shall we move on to our main topic? Yes. Right, um, so the reason there was no show last week was because we we got online and we started drawing up ideas for con- for concepts, for main topics, and we went, yeah, that one's going to require some planning. That one's going to require some planning. That one's going to require some planning. And all <laughs> of our suggestions would require some planning. And we were just like, let's not try any of these just sort of off the cuff because it won't end up as good as we'd like. Yeah. So um, for the last week... Um, I've been busying myself away and doing a lot of number crunching on M14 because it's sometimes hard to work out why cards are good. And some cards are obviously good, some cards are obviously bad, but there's a lot in the middle which are just... They're not easy to work out exactly how good they are comparison to one another. Um, Giant Spider is a card which has been in basically every single core set, and I really like Giant Spider. And it's not a card which I think is immediately obvious why it is so good and instead of trying to explain with my thoughts and feelings i figured it'd be better if i could work out why giant spider is so good using the application of maths and a bit of logic and a bit of forethought um because i'm sure i i mean i can't remember what, what it was like being a new player and coming to the game but i'm sure just trying to evaluate is a 2 for any good what well, can't bas- it can basically not kill anything um yeah so it's not a good creature, right? And like one ones, what, what's the point of a one one like ever, right? Yeah. You just want to play all your big creatures. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I mean, it is the very Timmy thing. You just want to play all your big creatures. But um, I just wanted to delve into the, the uh, analyze, go into the analytics, and work out the maths behind everything to be able to more. Uh, I just delve into the topic of how, how to evaluate cards, um, specifically for M fourteen. Because that's what yeah. we're doing at the moment. Like, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, if you notice similar trends um, in like power and toughness and stuff like that, as we're going to be talking about in other sets, then it will apply to them as well. Um, like, for example, in Ravnica, um, Return to Ravnica, a lot of things were toughness four, um, but not a lot of things were power four or higher. So it ended up in a lot of board cells. Mm-hmm. So that's the sort of thing that you might not notice until a little bit later unless you're looking out for it. Um, I think it wasn't until quite near the end of Ravnica when someone pointed that out to me and I went, oh, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's why that happens. Um, and then I started valuing things completely differently. And, for example, I started valuing um, the Golgari Longlegs way higher than I ever did before just because it's one of the few commons that can just bash through these kind of defences. Yeah. So... It's it's useful to kind of look at the power and toughness of things in a set, and as well as other things as well, um, just to sort of get a feel of how good things are in that specific set. Because cards change in value completely depending on what set you're in. 
Um, like, for example, Doom Blade in an artifact base set is a lot better, or rather, um, probably a better example is the one that doesn't kill artifacts. Go for the throat. Um, in an artifact set, that's obviously a lot worse. Whereas if it was in something like a core set, it would basically kill everything. Yeah. Because there's hardly any artifacts. I seem to remember before, this is maybe going back a bit, but before Doomblade there was sort of terror, which yeah. is not artifact non-black creature, and in a lot of sets everybody would go terror, premium removal, and then it was in Mirrodin. And Mirrodin <laughs> has a lot of artifacts, and suddenly you look at terror and go, actually that's not as good as it used to be. So context is quite important when evaluating yeah, cards. Definitely. Um, yeah, so let me start with the, a very basic analysis. A lot of people, well, I, I keep saying a lot of people, I'm, I'm probably meaning more newer players. When they talk about their decks, they talk about the big rares they opened. Yeah. You know, I, I, I opened Jace, and that's what I played. And, okay, Jace Memory Deck is a deck by itself, but there were probably 39 other cards in there with Jace Memory Adept, and... Which may or may not count for anything. <laughs> maybe not, but... It's, it's important to know whether they did. The core of your deck is always going to be made out of commons and uncommons. Yeah. And most of the cards you're going to be interacting with are commons and uncommons. And um, I'm sure most people could probably work out the maps themselves so they could be bothered to do it. But I wanted to just work out how many of each card would be opened at an eight-man draft. Just to show the differences between like how many commons you're likely to be playing over, say, mythics. Yes. So, I mean, when you look at... Well, there's 24 packs, and we all know that there's going to be at least a rare in every pack. And one out of eight packs is going to have a mythic rather than a rare. So from that, we can just say that there's three mythics in a in a eight-man draft, there's 21 rares in an eight-man draft. And those may be the big cards that sort of affect the draft, but you're needing to play with a lot of uncommons and commons. Now, people, when they're building decks... If they've understood the fact that, you know, rares are rares and they're either going to come or they're not and there's very little control over that, the chances are you may be just going to see, like, the three rares you open and no one's going to pass any of the ones they open. Maybe some of the worst rares are going to come around. You can't build your deck around a rare or pray that, you know, I'm going to build this deck, but it really, you you know, I'm going to build the Dismissions and Dreams deck, I'm going to pick up Zephyr Charge, I'm going to pick up other spells (laughs) with Target, and I'm going to pray that the Dismissions and Dreams is going to open. Well, if you're opening 21 rares at a table and there's 53 rares in M14, then the chances of Dismissing to Dreams being open is less than half. Then the chances of it getting to you is less than that half as well. Someone may just pick it up because they've also got the same idea or somebody may pick it up because they see it's a rare and they just go, ooh, I'll take that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's really bad to build around rares or hope they're going to... It's bad to build around rares you don't currently have in hand. So a lot of... Uh, stop saying a lot of people, Craig. So uncommons almost become the build around card, like the um, the guild mages in Return to Ravnica. You really wanted a Vitugazi or a Karosta, probably is really good. A Rixmadi. Oh yeah, that was awesome as well. Oh, yeah. Um, if you can get one of those, you've got a you know you've got a good foundation. You got an interstellar sort of uncommon. It's like a rare uncommon. They're really yeah. powerful. Um. But what are the chances of actually opening, like, what's the chances of one of them being open at the table? What are the chances of it being passed to you? Well, I can't answer the latter one, because it all depends on what people are drafting, where they're sitting, uh, what the card in question is. But the chances of a given uncommon being open at a table, there's there's going to be 1.2 of each common open at a table, on average. 
Yes. So if you're looking for a really great uncommon like, you know, the Cross the Guild Mage, um, then the chances of it being opened, pretty slim. The chance of it getting to you, it's actually like a chase uncommon, really slim. Like, almost to the point of you have to open it yourself, otherwise you're not going to get one. Yeah, uh, it seems that way with a lot of uncommons anyway. Like, um, for example, the Vitrogazagir made, like you said, or even the... Oh, what's it called? The Azorius Fire 3-1 Detain. Liev Sky Knight. Or even Liev Sky Knight, which is something I like to draft a lot. Um, If you see one early, then... You know, you might pick that up, but you're not likely to see another one unless you open it because it's just such a good card. Mm-hmm. So yeah, or, or if we go into M14 Doomblade, let's just say Doomblade because that is a chase uncommon. Yeah, which a lot of people, most of the people at the table, will pick up even if they need to splash black to play it. They'll take the Doomblade. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, so the chances of you opening a Doomblade and you know Doomblade is going to be a premium removal. 1.2 of them is going to be open at the table on average. Chances of you getting it if you don't open it, a lot less. So, this is why commons are such a big part of your deck, and why commons really matter when you're um, looking at a set. Because if you if you can't build an archetype using common cards, then you're really praying for an uncommon or rare to make it work, and that's a bad idea unless you've opened the uncommon or the rare, or especially the mythic. Yeah, this is true. Like, if you want to go into Mill and you're relying on Jace or you're relying on Santa Delirium from M13, which was a rare, then if you didn't open them, you're really, you know, living on a prayer. I mean, even looking at, like, the um, removal again, like, some of the commons that are really good are, like, Pacifism and Chandra's Outrage. So, like, those can be pretty big parts of your deck. And you've got a good chance, if you are going for a colour, to get multiple of them. And there's no reason why a, a Pacifism isn't pretty much as good as a Doomblade, or better, depending on what is in the set. Yeah. So, um, like, a pacifism's gonna, like, be this, a good card to look out for that's gonna be a lot easier to get, because it is a common. Indeed. I mean, I've had, I think, four pacifisms in a deck once, so, you know, you can get quite a few sometimes. Yeah, um, I mean, what, you're gonna open almost two and a half of each common, in theory, in a draft. Okay. Which which actually sounds surprisingly low, but I mean, if you're not looking for, like, the removal, you're probably going to see a few of them. Because, I mean, you do open ten commons, it's not like everybody can just nab them. It's not like rares where, you know, it's basically the first person sees them will probably nab the good ones. And you're yeah. never going to see one go round. I mean, you open two removal spells, a common, you know, at least two people's going to get a glance in, at least. So. Yeah, true. Um, right, so, yeah, commons... Are going to be a big thing. I mean, you're, you're opening, uh, 240 commons on the table. Sure, not all of them are, are playable. Not all of them are going to go into a deck. I mean, you're going to be putting your rares and your commons first in your deck, undoubtedly. And the commons are going to be filling in the rest. Not that they're necessarily filler, but commons are a really big thing. So, um, I decided to look at the creatures, a common by themselves in a void first. Um, just to get an idea of where the baseline for the set is, because as you said in Return to Ravnica, the, uh, the difference between having a creature with three power and a creature with four power was a huge thing, because there were so many things with toughness for yeah. that you just couldn't get past. So, um, what is the baseline for M14? 
looking at the commons, um, more commons have a power of two printed on them than anything else. Two is sort of your your baseline for what uh, a creature's power should be. So, like, a, a, a creature with two power is sort of on average. Yeah. When it comes to toughness, your average is two as well. When you sort of add up all the toughnesses together and divide it by the number of creatures, you're going to get two point something, but let's just round it to two. So two two is pretty much your baseline for the set. Which is, you know, it's usually what quartets are like. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people talk about bears. Why are bears good? You know, two two creatures for two mana. Because they're on curve and they're sort of average creatures. Yeah. You know, they're they're able to kill quite a lot of things and block quite a lot of things. I mean, they they may not block and just you know block it without trading, but they'll they'll happily block and they'll happily kill. And two twos is good, and this is the case in M14 as well. Now, um, when you look at (laughs) this, is probably quite a dense show as far as numbers and maths is going, but I I do apologize in advance. Um, Two power creatures when they attack. on average, assuming that, you know, everybody's playing just commons and, and, you know, all the commons they've drafted are being played and they're playing all the common creatures, a two-power creature is actually going to be able to kill 60% of the common creatures you're going to see. That's very high. That is very high. There, 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 60% of common creatures either have a toughness of one or two. Assuming, and assuming these are all vanilla creatures because it's really hard on the maths so if you start trying to worry about first strike and death touch and intimidate, but that, Let's just say they're as printed and they're just vanilla creatures. A, a two-power creature is going to kill 60% of all their commons. Now, if you yeah. take into account first strike, then that's a lot better. And if you take into account death touch, then it really doesn't matter what your power is or what your toughness is. But if we assume yeah. this is vanilla, then, yeah, you're going to kill a lot of a two-power creature. Now, if you get a three-power creature, you go up to 81%, which is actually quite a big jump. I mean, that's another 20% of creatures you're actually able to kill. Yeah. Um. And I'll make sure I I release this the, all the maths I've done so everybody can if, if anybody wants to look into this deeper then they can I'm going to not go into every single number because it will bore the tits off of people. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, when we come to two toughness creatures, again we said this is the baseline. Now, if you want to block with a two toughness creature, um, your creature's only going to survive thirty percent of the time, which is pretty low to be honest. Now, while two is, is. the average. Yeah, you're only going to be able to block and survive 30% of the time. Because yeah. most of the time, 2-2s two are bashing into 2-2s. Two and unsurprisingly, that means both of them are dying. That's where you get your 60% kill rate. That's where you get your 30% survival rate, if you want to put it in those terms. However, because, as you said, the average power is 2s, it's going to make a big difference when you go up to 3 toughness, right? Yeah. So th- when you go up to 3 toughness, it goes up to 76.9%. So you're basically jumping 43% and being able to survive if you have a toughness of 3 over a toughness of 2. Which is just ridiculous. So if you have a 2-3 creature, say for example Undead Minotaur, which is really unexciting, it actually kills most things and blocks most things while dying. See, that's really funny actually, because I've been playing black quite a lot, because I've been playing this Black Red Sacrifice deck basically all the time. I won a game with it as well, so yay. Um... (laughs) (laughs) bit of self-promotion. Um, yeah, so I've been playing this, this black all the time, and I have had Undead Minotaur in a lot of the decks, and it's overperformed, and I've been like, why is it so good? A 2-3 vanilla creature for 3 mana usually just doesn't feel this good, 
but it does seem to just stay there for so long and hold off so many attackers. Like, I've been in situations where I've had only an undead minotaur and I've been facing down, like, three or four two-power creatures. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they don't want to attack they don't want to lose a creature. So it seems really good. See, that, I, mean, I haven't the, looked at it from a math point of view, obviously, before. Yeah. I mean, th- this is you as an experienced player. Uh, at least a knowledgeable player. I mean, sure, you're not on the Pro Tour, but I don't, you know. You're an experienced player and you look at a 2-3 three for 3 and think, eh, that's yeah. okay. I mean, that goes in my deck. And then it overperforms and you, and you don't know why. And you look at the maths. It's when you crunch into the maths, you can actually see why. And it does, it is surprising because to me, I would, I would also look at a 2-3 creature for 3 and just go, oh, I'd rather not play that if I could avoid it. Yeah. But actually, it does a lot of work, surprisingly. Yeah, and I mean, that, that kind of leads on to other things as well. Like, if you look at some of the other 2-3s in the set, like Advocate the Beast, which is a 2-3, but it also has upside. Like, that starts becoming even more valuable then. Because it's already quite good just for the raw numbers. Yeah. So, it's it's something that's I, I wouldn't have thought would have been important, but it does help. Yeah. Now, another fact which is only relevant for Minotaur Abomination, um, which is the 4-6... <laughs> At six toughness, you block everything a common. Yes. Now, now, people, if you think about it, death touch gets, in, in, you know, that thick kills everything. But I haven't included death touch in this. I'm assuming we've just got vanilla creatures here. So yeah. you can take every number I say basically with a pinch of salt. But yeah, six toughness, you're blocking everything. The highest tough power creatures is ground shaker sliver at five and marauding molehorn at five. Six yeah. toughness blocks that all day long. So, I mean, the only ways you're getting through that at common are with Death Touch or with a lot of mana plus a Capacian Knight. So, it's not gonna, I mean, Death Touch, as you say, kills everything anyway, and Capacian Knight, you need what, 10 mana? I've been there, I have done that with a Capacian Knight before, I have killed an, uh, a Minotaur Abomination, but it doesn't come up a lot. Like. I mean, you could use Giant Growth, you could have a Ground Shaker Sliver yeah. and a Predatory Sliver, and that obviously pumps the Ground Shaker up to 6-6, six, six, but, Again, I'm assuming vanilla here because it's it's impossible to go, well, how many times do they have the giant growth and they cast on a creature which already has three or more power? So yeah. You tell me the maths on that. So. Yeah, well. <laughs> but basically, out of the gates, there's nothing with six power or higher yeah. at common. Now, one of the other reasons I really thought about doing the subject is because I think it was maybe two or three months ago, but we were doing, I want to say a Dragon's Maze draft. So the full block of Return to Ravnica. Yeah. And I took my wife along, and she she plays very seldomly, so I think this is maybe the first time since Return to Ravnica she'd actually play this format. And she drafted a deck, and her decks always look a little bit weird, but they always perform quite well. And she made some offhand comments. Like, I pointed at a card. I can't remember what it was. It was some flyer. And I pointed at the card and go, why on earth did you draft that? I honestly can't <laughs> remember what the card was. But it, it was some flyer which I clearly didn't think you know was below average. And she just said... I've looked at all the, you know, I've seen various flyers in the draft, and this just has such a high toughness, it should block all of them all day long. And yeah. I only had like three or four toughness, I'm just like, what? That, but, it's like, I don't know, it's like a 2-3 or a 2-4, it's a flyer, it doesn't do anything, but she somehow analysed the fact that, yeah, actually, at that toughness for flyers, yeah, it blocks all day long. So, that was one of the reasons I wanted to do this. And I have actually taken out the flyers as a separate topic, because that's sort of your main evasion, you'll see. Um, I yeah. think there's, I want to say there's 11 flyers are common, although one of them is a defender, so I've taken this out of some of the maps here, but um, if you look at flyers, then um, a 2-3 is actually the average flyer. 
Mm. So your flyers actually have slightly more toughness. Now, the mana cost is probably higher, and I haven't looked into mana cost in this, but 2-3 yeah. is your average. Now, at 3 toughness, a flyer actually blocks 90% of all other common flyers. There's only one flyer which also has power 3, and that's where you're going to trade rather than block comfortably. Yes. But, yeah, at at 3 toughness flyer will block most other flyers. At 4 toughness, and I can't remember which flyer this is, Angelic Wall is the only 4 toughness flyer at common. It blocks everything, because nothing yeah. has power 4 in there. And by the same note, 4 toughness flyer blocks all flyers. Giant Spider has 4 toughness and reach. This is why Giant Spider is good. It blocks yeah. most flyers. Now, it won't kill most flyers. It'll, it will actually kill 54% of flyers at common. But this is why Giant yeah. Spider is good. It kills half the flyers, and it blocks all of the flyers. Yeah. I mean, this, this, these figures would lead you to think that there's probably going to be more um, sort of stalls in the air with flyers, that is, because obviously the average toughness is higher than the average power. But I, I would take into consideration the fact that usually it's one deck that has the majority of the flyers and the other deck might have one or two. So it's not going to necessarily be the same as looking at the numbers on the ground where both players will probably have a reasonable amount of them each. So you'll be comparing like for like. Um, whereas, you know, the blue-white deck will probably have six or seven flyers and the, the deck that's against will have like one or two. So that does make a bit of a difference when you consider whether you're going to be able to get through for damage in there or not. Um, but yeah, like uh, with Giant Spider that obviously changes it again because it's something that can block well, can it be a, a non-flyer itself. Yeah, and Deadly Recluse has the other common reach which kills everything because it has Death Touch. And uh, mm. yeah, talking about the flyers, I just had a brief glance through it. White and blue have the most flyers probably unsurprisingly. Black has a couple Dragon Hatchling is a single red one, and green has none. So obviously, depending on which color you are, you know, white, white, blue flyers is an archetype. Red, green flyers isn't an archetype because there aren't <laughs> enough. So, you know, if you're the red, green deck, then mm, you better hope you got giant spiders, otherwise those flyers are going to come over you all the time. The second you have a giant spider, well, you've really put up, you know. Yeah. I mean, path. one, one giant spider is going to shut down a lot of flyers. I mean, you, obviously when you start looking at the other things like the uncommons where you've got Sarah Angel and stuff, it changes things a bit, but mm. people aren't going to have a lot of those. Like, even the blue-white decks might have two. Two cards. Uh, two flyers that your giant spider can't block. And that's probably a Sarah Angel and a um, Air Servant or something. So it's not going to be a lot that you can't block with your spider. And then hopefully you've got some removal to finish off the bigger things. So, I mean... Assuming you're saving your removal for the better targets. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that giant spider starts to look pretty awesome. Indeed. Now, let's move on to the uncommons. I'm going to look at the uncommons by themselves again, which is a very unbalanced way of looking at it, but that's just, it gives, it helps you a value, give a, get a baseline for uncommon, uncommon cards. So. Yeah. Uncommon creatures, on average, are two threes. Which okay. isn't that much higher than common. Okay. I mean, again, it's surprising, but I mean, obviously, uncommons tend to have a lot more utility built in. Um, yeah, that's true. Now, if you have a two uh, power uncommon attacking into other uncommons, it only actually kills 37.5% of the time. So you can see the toughness is definitely a lot higher on average when it comes yes. to uncommons. Um, a three toughness uncommon 
only blocks or dying 47.6% of the time, which is, again, down from what we had with the commons. Yeah. So at the low, at the low figures, you're going to be able to kill less and be killed more often because, in general, uncommons will have a higher power and toughness, I would assume. Yeah, now, there are, I mean, while the average of power is two, there's seven two-power creatures and four, and seven four-power creatures. Ah. So it's sort of, <laughs> there's sort of two peaks on this graph. So that's why your survival rate is also a lot lower. Um, and then there are some big outliers. I mean, there's a five-power creature, there's a seven-toughness creature. <laughs> I mean, Wall of Frost blocks everything all day, because it's the only thing, it's got seven-toughness. What can kill Wall of Frost is awesome. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> What kills that? Nothing at common or uncommon without doing shenanigans or pumping Capacity Knight far too high with far too much mana. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, or Death Touch. <laughs> yes, or Death Touch. Although, there is no Death Touch at uncommon. That's true, there isn't. And uh, there's only the two Death Touch creatures at common. Yeah. So there's not actually, so that actually much not that common in the set. Uh, there are only three Death Touch creatures in total. There's one at rare as well. Okay, but then there is Vial of Poison, which can give a creature Death Touch if you have the like lack of common sense to want to play lots of that card. Yeah, yeah. I've played one of it in one deck because I was really struggling for playables, but it's not something you want to have in your deck. <laughs> um, when we look at flyers, the average flyer, and this is a bit unbalanced because there are only four flyers that are uncommon, is a four-four. Yeah, which is a lot higher. And that's because you've got your Sarah Angel, your uh, Sengir Vampire, and your uh, Air Servant, which are like the kind of bosses of the era at Uncommon. Uh, yeah. I might have missed one. So yeah, there are only five flyers at Uncommon, um, and you've mentioned the three important ones. Uh, although the Wall of Swords is... Yes. It's a, a big... Yeah, it, it, it blocks everything... It's kind of like a giant spider that's better but can't attack. <laughs> yeah, but then a giant why... spider tends not to attack. It tends to be. It does a tend blocker. not to attack often. So wall swords is just better for one extra mana. Although you are in white, so you're playing a different deck probably. But it's yeah. really good. Wall of swords is much better than giant spider for just gumming up the air. Well, I mean, even as a three five, it, it blocks loads of things on the ground as well. Yes, it does indeed. Like, and kills a lot of things on the ground. I mean, we already looked at how much three power kills. Like, as it kills 81% of commons and 66% of uncommons. So, yeah. it's a very good blocker. Yeah, so if we go and look at commons and commons put together, then, yeah, a three five, Wall of Swords, kills 76% of commons and uncommon creatures. Blocks without dying, 95% of common common creatures. <laughs> and uh, yeah. there, there's a lot of five power, uh, five toughness guys kicking around. You've got, um, Siege Macedon, you've got the mm-hmm. Wall of Swords, uh, you've got your Ground Shaker Sliver, um. Ah, oh, you've got the blue one as well. <laughs> the, I've had to play that a couple of times. Which uh, is the blue one? Oh, Armored Cantrix. Yeah. <laughs> Two five vanilla creature sounds rubbish. Blocks ninety five percent of things. Ninety six. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, see, that reminds me of when I was playing against you, and I was playing an aggressive red green deck, and you played. I think I had quite a commanding poor position, and you played a wall of swords. I'm like, yeah, I can't be that. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, so I had to I had to try and like build up resources to overwhelm it because I literally could not beat a wall of swords because my removal was stuff like Chandra's Outrage. It's like okay, it's one too many. So I, I eventually, I think I threw away a creature and a Chandra's Outrage for it. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite formidable. Yeah, I noticed if, I, I noticed this pretty early. Well, I think I noticed this during the pre-release that five power. I thought sorry, five toughness is a large number. Yes. It's really hard to get through. Like, as you say, you need to throw away a creature and a removal spell to get rid of it. You're, you know, it's a two for one to get rid of this. Uh, Siege Mastodon, what's that doing? You know, nothing except for causing you a lot of irritation. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the kind of deck that you're ha- you have as well. Like, yeah. having something like a three five defender when you're, when the rest of your attackers are flyers is, is really cool because it's kind of stopping them while you're able to still get your attack on. Um, but if you're like a, an aggressive deck, you obviously won't be that fussy about a 3-5 defender. So, your mileage may vary a little. <laughs> right, um, moving into rares, um, I'm not going to go over the rares by themselves, because they are obviously wild and all over the place. You know, you've got yeah. your 7-7 Guardian of the Ages, <laughs> you have your 1-1 one, one Elite Arcanist, doing quite different things, so I'm not going to try to analyse the rares, because only playing rares, that's not happening. And often the value of a rare will be a lot less tied into its uh, power and toughness than in other cases. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, there are some rares which are just rare because they're huge, and that's the point. But there's a lot of rares, like you said, Elite Arcanus, which is just a utility creature. It's not, its power and toughness basically mean nothing other than how easily it dies to removal. Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking of, uh, of using your Elite Arcanist to attack or block, something's going wrong. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you look at the some of the a lot of the rares, five rares are slivers as well. So these are not going to be the sort of set in stone power and toughness of these cards a lot of the time. Yeah, if they're being used in sliver decks, so that's something to be aware of as well. Now, uh, when we add up together all the commons and the commons and the rares, then I've got some numbers for you. However, as I said at the very beginning, you're going to see a lot more commons than uncommons than rares. So for all these numbers, I've weighted everything based on how many commons you're likely to see compared to how many rares you're likely to see. So um, I think I I said this before, but I'll just go over it again. So um, for each mythic you open, you're going to have two rares... Four uncommons and eleven point eight eight commons. Really yes. awkward number. So I've weighted everything I want to say here based on those values. So um, all the commons have been tied by eleven point eight eight. All the rares by two. So, so when we look at the averages of commons, uncommons, and rares, which is you know that's practically all you're going to be playing with. I mean, there's going to be three mythics at the table. They're not going to change the mass terribly much, but. Two is once again the most prominent power. Yep. Three is probably the average. It's probably just below three is the average toughness. Yes, but it is slightly slightly higher than the average power. Yeah, I, I, I don't like it when I see um, people doing analysis. They go like, oh, the average toughness is 2.63, because I can't really use that. So I'm just, you know, I'm just rounding to three here. Well, yeah. Because this is not an unset where we have halves. The important point is that it's higher than the power. Yeah. Now your two power creatures, when we're waiting across everything, kill 57% of things. And your uh, three toughness creatures are blocking 72% of things. Which is a pretty huge number. 
Yeah, so what was it was the numbers were wildly different when you looked at uncommons because there's so many more commons and uncommons and yeah. more than rares than actually. This 2-3 is actually still good. 2 power still kills most things. 3 toughness still blocks most things without dying. So 2-3 is, is a sort of this magical number I think we're sort of beginning to discover when it comes to creatures in uh, M14. Yeah. It's sort of the, it, this is the baseline you really want to be going for across sort of everything. Which also means that a 3-3 becomes infinitely more valuable. Yeah, a 3-3 kills 79% of things. And block 72% of things. Those are yeah. big numbers. So, something like a Clonian Tusker, which is a 2-mana 3-3, three, three, is actually a really strong card. And the fact it comes out turn 2, assuming <laughs> you're heavy green, is very impressive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hard to deal with. Indeed. Um, now, when we look at flyers, 2 power is, again, the average. 3 toughness is the average when it comes to flyers. Yep. And your 2-3... Uh, flyer is going to kill 50% of things, which isn't high, but you know, it's still okay. It blocks 81% of flyers, which is high. So, again, as we said, you know, one deck's more likely going to have flyers than not, but if you do end up in some sort of flyer mirror match, then actually your flyers are not doing terribly much, unfortunately. Yeah. And also, it doesn't only generally take one to clog up the board, unless they have removal in their hand. So, like, that one blocking defending flyer or that one defending giant spider is going to do a lot more um, than the three attacking ones that can't actually get past it. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's worth actually talking about mythics because there are only five mythic creatures, of which I can only look at four because you tell me how big Colonial Hydra is on average, you know. So I've had to ignore that. I've also had to ignore Clone and Nightmare and Vastwood Hydra, because again, how big are they on average? Yep. <laughs> so I don't know if it's worth t- really talking about Mythics, because they change the percentages very slightly. Although, actually, let's look at the extremes. So we do have a 7-7 creature, which is the Guardian of the Ages. Yes. And theoretically, your Megantic Sliver alongside a uh, Predatory Sliver could also be a 7-7. Now, a 7-power creature, that's the first time you see 100% kill rate. There's nothing with toughness higher than 7. If you've got a 7-power creature, it's killing everything. Yes. With the caveats of, you know, let's ignore Death Touch or First Strike and bloody bloody blah. 7-toughness, blah. on the other hand, doesn't block everything, because obviously we've got the Guardian of the Ages. It, it blocks 99.5% of things. So, um, it doesn't actually... Like, going from, like, 5 to 7 goes from 95% to 99.5%. So, actually, you hit 5, you you can block most things. But you're yeah. never going to be able to block everything. Because there's only a couple of cards at, at 6 and 7 type power. It's not very common. No, not at all. And I think they're all rares. Or one's a mythic and one's a rare. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to flyers, the highest power flyer we've got does f- has got power 5, which I think is the Shadowborn Demon. <laughs> and it it only kills 98.8% of things because there's this annoying card called Wind Reader Sphinx with toughness 7. <laughs> it blocks everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a uh, big man. Yeah, so if if there's a Wind Reader Sphinx on one side of the battlefield and a Shadowboard Demon on the other side of the battlefield, they're going to be looking at each other sadly because they can't attack into one another and hope to do anything productive. Although, let us be fair. The Shadowborn Demon can just kill the Sphinx when it comes into play. Yeah, that 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 is if, true. If you don't play it first. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, Shadowborn Demon is somewhat cheaper than the Sphinx, so it probably will be getting played first quite often. Yep. 
Uh, I've, pl- I've only played against the Sphinx once, and yeah, getting past that seven toughness is a nightmare. Yeah. I once again had to throw away a bunch of things. <laughs> well, as I said, the seven toughness is calculated to that 99.5%, so yeah, it blocks everything <laughs> all the time. Except yeah. for, as we say, I think, I think a Guardian of the Ages may be the one thing which gets through. And the funny part is, it was the guy I was playing against who had the Guardian of the Ages, I, as well as the Sphinx. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, okay, you got all the defense. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I had two Doomblades in that draft, so that helped somewhat. But, yeah. That, that's above average, as we've spoken about. That is above average. That is above average. Uh, yeah. That's actually moving to spells now, because creatures is obviously one half of the game, spells is the other half, and removal is, you know, one of the first things you really want to grab. We've talked about bread in the past, bombs, then removal. That's sort of the the second best category of cards you should be looking at picking up. Yeah. So we need to know how good the removal actually is. Now, admittedly, I can't really ask this question. I know you're going to give me the, <laughs> a genuine answer now, but I was going to say... If I had to ask you, what is the best removal spell in M14? Now, you do, I've just mentioned Doomblade, but you know, what is the best removal spell in M14? What would your gut have said? I know well, you know the gut, answer My now. gut reaction is Doomblade, but then I immediately think, wait a minute, what about black? Mm. And then my second answer is Pacifism. Okay. However, I now know those are both wrong. <laughs> those are both wrong. Now, now I, I realise Doomblade, sure, it kills very indiscriminately unless you're black, and pacifism doesn't really care, and you know pacifism can't hit more things. But I was quite surprised by what actually the best removal spells are, because yeah. I never thought about it in this terms. But yeah, so there's two best removal spells, although they they have they their timings are very yeah. dependent, and one of them is a bit random. But anyways, essence scatter will counter every single creature. So now, technically, it's the best. <laughs> yeah, because you play a cre- There are no creatures in M14 which say cannot be countered. So Essence Scatter gets rid of every single creature. With the slight caveat that there is Savage Summoning, but I'm ignoring that. Now, yeah. oh, now once a creature is at the board, well, you can't Essence Scatter it. So what do you do? Well, when it attacks, or when it blocks, you can Celestial Flare. Now, Celestial Flare does cause you to sacrifice an attacking or blocking creature, so unless they're attacking or blocking with just that one creature, you know, you're not going to actually be able to hit it. But it can kill everything. Because it's, also, caused, it's caused them to sacrifice, and hex, Hexproof is not important here. There's not a target creature. Yeah. Also, there is a bit of a trick with that. Um, if they are attacking with something else, which you can block and kill, you can do that, and then cast your Celestial Flare after damage. Because their creature is still an attacking creature until yeah. you move into the main phase. That is right. There, there is this end of combat step which no one ever uses, but this is one of the few places where you can use it and get your Celestial Flare to hit the right thing. Yes. So they think they're safe attacking with their, their mythic rare and a 1-1 sapling that they're chucking away because they know you've got a Celestial Flare. Then you block the 1-1, kill it, and then Celestial Flare after combat. And yeah, okay, you've taken damage, but... You've gotten rid of their their card, so it's it's a bit of a tricky way to do it, but it works. Yeah. Now, those are the best because those are both those both hit a hundred percent of creatures. So wait, wouldn't cancel also be the best? <laughs> Technically. Technically, yes. Actually, cancel is in there for some reason. I've ignored it. I never yeah. did the maths for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's worse that it costs more, but it's better because it's got extra versatility. Yeah, so 
But I'd still rather have Essence Scatters. <laughs> Essence Scatter, now, if we're just looking at if one of every single card was open, then there are 48.47% of cards in M14 are creatures. So Essence Scatter hits 48.47% of cards, assuming one card of everything was opened. We're not looking at waiting anywhere. Capsule yeah. hits 9825 <laughs> The exception, <laughs> I think, being the Savage Summoning. <laughs> oh, okay. At the lands. <laughs> Yeah, because the three lands are counted in there: the um, the shimmering grotto, the encroaching waste, and mutable. Because you can't cancel those; those aren't spells; those are lands. Different thing. Yep. Um, so yeah. mutable is kind of a creature that Essence Scatter doesn't get. Kind of. Yeah, that's true. Mutable is the one creature that slips under, but it's not a creature spell. Yeah. That's so true. yeah, so. I've also not counted Mutavolt as a creature because it's not always a creature and how much percentage of the time is Mutavolt a creature? Eh, so I've just left out the maths. Um, Although I did find out the other day that Mutavolt is a very good creature with Advocate the Beast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. It's a pretty un- unlikely interaction to get, but I had two Advocate the Beasts and a Mutavolt in a sealed tournament, so I managed to get it to come up fairly often. Nice. Which was quite nice. I might I might mention that I might talk about that sealed treatment briefly after this. <laughs> right. Um there's four spells, maybe six depending on how you look at it, uh which can target any creature. Um Pacifism, Claustrophobia, Time Ebb, uh Liturgy of Blood, Quag Sickness, although the effects of how good Quag Sickness is it depends on number of swamps, and then Hunt yep. the Weak, although again that also depends on what creatures you're targeting it with. Yes. But those six should target any creature. Now, Pacifism, Claustrophobia, Time Ebb, and Hunt the Weak, they will hit 98.23% of creatures. So I've removed the two hexproof creatures. Liturgy of Blood and Quag Sickness are slightly lower because there's another card they can't hit. Any guesses? Protection from Black. Is it? Well, there's Liturgy of Blood, yeah. It's not Protection from... Black, precisely. It's Fiend Slayer Paladin. Oh, yeah. Who can't be targeted by those spells. <laughs> so, Quag Sickness and Liturgy Blood are slightly worse than the other cards I mentioned. Yeah, if you're um, facing down a Fiend Slayer Paladin. <laughs> if you're facing down a Fiend Slayer Paladin, otherwise you're... It's basically no difference. Now, slightly worse than these is when you start looking at uh, Chandra's Outrage... Uh, it hits creatures with toughness 4 or less, so your hexproof creatures are excluded. Anything with toughness 5 or greater obviously is excluded. It hits 90% of things. Um, sentry deprivation will basically turn a, a creature into a zero power creature 84% of the time. Yeah, that's reasonably high. But on everything else, it's just going to make it a lot weaker. So it's kind of good on everything, but it only completely removes the teeth from 85% of creatures, 84% of creatures. Yeah. Um, shock, which really great, two damage for one mana, only will kill 54% of creatures. But chances are you're probably combining shock with combat damage. So uh, sometimes, yeah. But by itself, 54%. Um, it's ring, pretty good for one mana. <laughs> it's not bad. Uh, ring flesh only kills 27% of things. But you're more likely to be combining that one with combat damage. Yeah. Um, now and shrivel, which also hits toughness one creatures, but it gets, ignores Hexproof due to the joys of it's just hitting everything, will kill 29% of creatures. Although that does include your one-drops, or yeah. your one-toughness creatures. So, yeah. um, plummet, which a lot of people... Well, stop saying a lot of people, Craig. 
Plummet, which seems like a premium removal spell, only kills 21% of things. Because there's actually not that many flyers going around, although it will deal with your Windrider Sphinx. Yes. <laughs> but then, so will Doomblade. Yeah. But, I mean, that that is always something that I am wondering, is whether it's worth having a main deck Plummet in your deck. Right. And I think it, it really depends on what you're playing. I think if you're weak to flying, I would put one main deck, just because it a lot of decks will have at least one flyer. Um, but if you're if you're already okay against flying, I probably wouldn't put one in main deck. Mm-hmm. It still makes it a pretty good sideboard card because there is going to be that one round. If you're playing three rounds of a draft, you're likely to play at least one person with a few flyers. Yeah. So it's still a very good sideboard removal spell. But yeah, it seems it's a lot narrower than I would have thought. Twenty one percent. Yeah, it, it probably is a sideboard card. I've been running a main deck far too much, undoubtedly. <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> now, that, that's actually all the common removals. I wasn't talking about all the removals, because I did just mention Doomblade. So Doomblade, the, the best removal spell ever, is actually slightly worse than Century Deprivation. It hits <laughs> 83.88% of things. Because obviously, wow. does it hit Hexproof? Does it hit Fiendslayer Paladin? Does it hit Black? Somewhat lower than expected. So Doomblade... Not that good, really. Shandra's Outrage is better, you know. Century Deprivation, arguably better. Yeah. And, um, we've mentioned a lot, which just have a much higher percentage. Corrupt, um, 97.97%. Basically, you can't hit the Hexproof and the Fiend Slayer. It also obviously depends on the number of swamps you have. Yeah. It can also be used to end the game, but that's <laughs> what Corrupt does. Volcanic Geezer is the exact same thing, 97.97. So, yeah. both premium, but both of those depend on mana whether it's just swamps on the board or mana available to burn. Yeah. Um, Flames of the Firebrand will kill 76.89%. That's assuming all three damages going to a three-toughness creature. Yeah. If you spread it out, obviously you can do a lot more damage. Yeah. There's probably also a reasonably high chance that it gets to kill two creatures. Yeah. So that's a, I'd say that's still a very good spell. I think the 76% probably undersells it a little. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite take into account how versatile that spell is. Yeah. Uh, Windstorm is the same as Plummet, you know, 21%, although obviously it hits everything, but it depends on the mana you spend. And Encroaching Waste, I've put in, it is an uncommon <laughs> removal spell. Um, it kills one creature. It kills... Yeah, it does kill one creature. It, it also kills um, 0.77% of the cards which will be open at a draft. That is weighted. Okay, because there's two uncommon lands, the Encroaching Waste itself and the <laughs> uh, Shimmering Grotto and the Mutable to Rare. So if you put in Encroaching Wastes and everybody plays all the cards they draft and we have an average draft where everything's opened equally based on their rarity, it will kill things 0.77% of the time. Never play Encroaching Wastes. It's never worth it. Never. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, right, moving up to uh, rare, Planear Cleansing will destroy 99.13% of all cards which can be opened. Can you name the cards which it cannot destroy? Ignoring basic lands. All non-land permanents. All non-land permanents. Well, so it's it can't kill uh, Mute Vaults, Encroaching Wastes, and uh, Shimmering Grottoes. Mm-hmm. Is there more? Yeah, Darksteel Forge and Darksteel Ingot. Ah, oh, yeah. Oh, wait, I should have known that. I've actually done that with Darksteel Ingot before. <laughs> like, I've cast a Planar Cleansing, and my opponent's been like, that dies, and I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So, oh. Planar Cleansing pretty much gets rid of everything. 
domestication will well, it can enchant anything targetable, so that is the 98%. However, if you want it to stick on, it'll stick on about 90% of creatures, because 90% of creatures have toughness 4 or less. Yeah. Um, and Ratchet Bomb also will destroy 100% of things. Yes. It just might not be very quick. And <laughs> or it might get to kill more than one thing. So It destroys 100% of things at a particular mana cost, but it will yes. kill 100% of things. It's a bit like Celestial Flare. It depends on how you you position it, but... Yeah. And it'll kill your own things as well sometimes, so... Yeah. Gotta be careful with that one. I've been playing three of it in my standard deck at the moment, and yeah, you've got to be pretty careful. (laughs) (laughs) I almost killed my own Jace at one point before realising, oh wait, I can't do that. That would be a bad thing to do. (laughs) Well, you can do it. It is just a bad thing to do, yeah. I've done it a turn later after minusing Jace twice. Right. Because I'd played Jace, minused him, went to blow my Ratchet Bomb before, and then went, no, wait a minute. I don't want to do that. Next turn, minus Jace, then blow my ratchet bomb. I was like, yeah, that works. <laughs> Unfortunately, it meant I took three more damage, but that's worth it. <laughs> Just to draw some cards. <laughs> yeah. So. Now, now, there are other removal spells. You know, you Solemn Offering, Naturalized, Demolish, uh, Smilt, which targets artifacts and enchantments on lands. They're all very high percentage of artifacts and enchantments they can target. Basically, the two artifacts they can't destroy are the Darksteel artifacts, so... They will kill everything. I haven't worked out exactly how many cards that is, though, but if you, uh, they're basically cyborg at any rate. I mean, yeah. how many enchantments are there? Let's just quickly look that up. There are 28 enchantments, although uh, 10 of them are rare, so, you know, chances of them appearing quite low. Yeah. There's probably only be three rare enchantments at the table. Quite a reasonable amount are uncommon. The rest are common. There is a mythic rare, which is primeval bounty, so... You know, is it Which worth is running an enchantment removal main board? Eh, it's probably in the same place as Plummet, to be honest. And at least then Plummet kills a creature, whereas enchantment removal just kills the enchantment. So hmm. It's funny, when you're mentioning um, Solemn Offering and uh, Primeval Bounty in the same sentence, <laughs> um, I was playing against uh, Primeval Bounty. Um, I don't know if it was your deck. It might have been. It may have been, because I did have Primeval Bounty yeah. this Week. And I got mind-rotted. And I discarded a Solemn Offering. I knew you had it in your deck. I discarded a Solemn Offering and some other card that I didn't care about. And basically I only had one card I wanted to discard. Um, so I ended up, the choice was between discarding a Solemn Offering and a Pacifism. I discarded the pacif- uh, the Solemn Offering and that lost me the game. Mm-hmm. I should have discarded the Pacifism. <laughs> so sometimes cards really do change in value depending on what you're playing against. Yeah. I mean, like, the only card in your deck that I couldn't beat, because I was playing, like, a really late game deck um, that planned on basically cycling through itself with um, Elector of Immortality and Opportunities, mm-hmm. um, the only card I couldn't beat in your deck was that card. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I shouldn't have chucked it away because I was basically betting on the fact that I'd be able to Elixir for it and then get it back before you played Primeval Bounty, and I didn't think Looking back at it, that was pretty silly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had three past prisons, but I only had one Solemn Offering, so... Yeah, yeah. That didn't work out. Still, I, I you mean, learn from you, your mistakes. That's if you look at the maths, it made sense, but remember, this is just... This is all based on averages. This is all based on sort of vanilla creatures, effectively. So, you know, obviously the circumstances you're in, what you're playing against, what your deck is doing, what colours you are, will make a massive difference in all this, but... 
we've given you a good baseline, a good way of thinking about things, which you probably, you never had this in-depth sort of thought before. You just kind of looked at the card and went, that's good. But now, but now you can say, well, actually, you know, pacifism is slightly better than Liturgy of Blood because of Fiend Hunter Paladin. Yep. Minor percentage points, but it is good to know (laughs) that if you're looking at the two and trying to go, which one do I really want? Pacifism is a correct choice on average (laughs) most of the time. Slightly. (laughs) Yep. Which sounds strange, but... We've armed you with the knowledge. It is now yours to do with what you will. And I will put up everything I've created, uh, the spreadsheets effectively in the tables, so people can have a look at it. If they want to look at this in more depth. Yep. But hopefully we give pe- people a good verbal overview and good uh, analysis of what is going on in M14, what you should be looking for, and what is important and what is not. Yeah. So take a look and see what you think. Yep. <laughs> see if, it, if it's useful, and if it is, feel free to let us know. Indeed. Okay. What have you done, Craig? What have you done in the last week or two? Uh, so, yeah, my, my uh, gaming for the last, well, few days at least has been payday too. Yeah, fair enough. Robbing banks with friends is a lot of fun, primarily because things always go wrong and it's always <laughs> fun to see how people react to them. Yeah, I have the feeling I wouldn't be very good at that game. I haven't well, tried it, but... There are three of us currently playing as a group. I bought the four pack on Steam just to make sure everybody got it cheap, and I, I you know, I, I, I gave it out to the four people who were interested: myself, my wife, somebody I work with, and uh, somebody at our local gaming store. And the person at our local gaming store, not naming names, uh, hasn't been online yet, so it's just been the three of us playing, and we're desperately because there's sort of four paths you can go down with your character. We're desperately missing the mastermind who's able to sort of control the civilians better so, you know, they don't call the police and, you know, they back down and don't try to run away and look for help. You know, we need a mastermind to to hand the crowds down while I'm going around shooting everyone. Uh, my wife is going around sneaking into things and uh, our technical expert is breaking into the safes, basically. So we really need a mastermind. <laughs> so I see. you should definitely buy it and join us and be our mastermind. Well, when I consider the person, the other person that you gave a copy to, I'm not sure Mastermind really suits him. <laughs> so I'd, I'd be interested to see how that went. <laughs> I would say Mastermind is a class. It's he won't actually be in charge of the operation. Right. Okay. That that's a relief. <laughs> that, that tends to actually go to our technician because most ah. of the, most of the because I'm the gun bunny effectively. So I stand outside with the heavy weapons and wait for stuff to go down before I actually walk in. Because if I try walking into a bar, try to be casual, I'm wearing heavy body armor and carrying an AK subtly. It doesn't work. <laughs> so I basically stand outside and wait things to go wrong before I actually jump in. But Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, Have you been up to anything else in the last while? More Borderlands 2... Lots of computer games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, computer games is a lot of what I do outside of Magic. Oh, we all oh, actually, we've played the cube for uh, the third time now? Oh, yeah, there is that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we didn't really play a normal version of it, though. <laughs> we played the best version of cube. So, um, got to our local game store and there was five of us. Now, we don't like buys and I didn't want to exclude anyone. So I'm like, five players, what can you do with five players? Well, we can do multiplayer. Wait, wait, wait. We can do star magic. Yeah. 
Now, a brief overview, Star Magic. Traditionally, everybody brings a monocolored deck. One player is white, one player is blue, red, green, and black. You sit around in the, in the sort of the correct order, so the white player is next to the green player and the blue player. And the idea is you need to defeat the two people opposite you. So if you're the white player, you need to defeat black and you need to defeat red. And uh, whoever defeats their two opponents wins. Now, it is the case that you could be out of the game when your two opponents are eliminated and you win. That way, which is weird, that you can lose but still win. Um, but that is what Quite Star strange. Magic is. You don't have to eliminate everyone. You can hit anyone you want, but you don't want to beat up the two guys next to you because they're sort of helping you with one of yeah. your opponents. Now, we didn't decide that, oh, everybody has to draft a monocolor and, well, you know, I need to draft white, I need to draft blue, because that would have just been awkward, and that's not what drafting's about. It's not... We didn't want to force a cube deck, because uh, the multicolored cards would have just been useless. Yes. So we just drafted whatever, and um, it was a lot of fun. It did go quite well. <laughs> um, it, it also helped that, I think, in two of the games of Star Magic we played, one of my allies was on the mill plan, and I had a couple of mill cards in my deck. That worked pretty well. Yeah. You had the Sands one. Yeah, Sands Delirium. Yeah, which is pretty insane. It's kind of a mill deck on its own, really. Yeah. And so. Consuming Aberration gets very big when you're playing a mill deck in multiplayer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how big it was. It was around 40-odd, I think. So I remember we definitely said it could kill a, a commander player in one hit. So. Yeah. It was at least 40 power and toughness, that, which is that, just silly. That was insane, but that's sort of the fun of cube and the fun of multiplayer. Yeah. Um, but, but then, after that, we've yeah. done something even better. <laughs> we yeah. decided to backdraft, and then, after deciding to backdraft, we decided to do two-headed giant backdraft. <laughs> At this point, one of us had left, so there was only four players, so it did work. Um, so we had everyone draft backdrafts, which is where basically the premise is you're not drafting for yourself. You're going to be swapping your deck with someone else. So you don't want to draft a good deck. In fact, you want to draft the worst deck possible. So what happened was we all drafted what we thought was the worst deck. Then we got paired off and then gave the decks to the opposing team to then, or gave the pools to the opposing team to then decide what the final decks would end up looking like. Um, and there was a couple of interesting points in that I had drafted a deck which had six creatures yes. across all colours. <laughs> and I think I'd drafted 18 non-basic lands. <laughs> Jeez. So... You left her with very little playables to go with. It was a very awkward pull. However, in game two... What we decided to do was to swap to the partners over. So I ended up playing with the person who had gotten the deck that I had drafted. And I was quite unhappy to have to play with it because I, I knew how terrible it was. Yeah. But funnily I enough... You say this, but then you ended up winning. Yeah, and the best part was, it was actually the cards in that deck which done most of the work. Because it was like terrible cards that were just doing more than they really should. Like, we had Praetor's Grasp steal a Grave Titan from Craig. Yeah. Um, and then we cast that at some point in the future. Um, and we also, like, just stuff like making them discard. Um, we had something that you could make them discard and it had dredge. So we used that on someone and then worked out what we could take from their hand and then what we could take out next turn. Um, and we also had Past in Flames. So it was like Past in Flames, um, 
and then make you discard off of that card, and then make something turn into a 3-3 frog. And it was just all this value from these cards that really shouldn't be any good, <laughs> but it kind of worked out. It was weird. It was. It just shows you what a deck, a bad deck can do when everyone else is playing with pretty mediocre decks as well. <laughs> yeah, backdrafting definitely forces you to make the best out of a bad situation. I mean, it, it, it's... I'm I think not saying it's, it's better than really drafting, good practice. but it's, yeah, it's, it may be practice for when you just open a bad steel de- a pool. Yeah, and, you know, or, yeah, or it's like just th- when a draft is wrong. Yeah, this is what I have to work with, but I still need to do as good as I can with it. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, it seems quite good. Like, it seems like it's still useful. And, and backdrafting with a cube is especially fun because, you know, you're trying to give them the worst cards as possible. But it's a cube. The point of a cube is <laughs> yeah. it has the best cards. So I remember what, you know, it was just the four of us, so we saw the packs fairly regularly. And I looked at one pack and it had Jace Memory Adept and Cough of the Hammer. And you're just thinking, well, those are going to be the last two picked. Somebody has <laughs> to take Jace Memory Adept. Somebody has to take Cough of the Hammer. Those are great cards. They're going to be the 14th or 15th pick, but, you know. And in that same pack, not that exact same pack, but in that same round of packs, I ended up with a Primeval Titan last pick. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't want to pick up this card, but unfortunately sometimes it just comes round and you just have to, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was quite fun. I, that's something I'd definitely like to do again. Backdraft is really good fun. Mm-hmm. Like, you just never know how it's going to go. And... People end up hating each other (laughs) for the (laughs) decks that they give them. (laughs) What's this you've given me? I can't do anything with it. It's terrible. (laughs) Uh, That's the point of backdraft. Uh, I'd I'd quite like to do it in a normal draft set and see how that turns out as well. Because it will obviously be different in that the power level will be entirely different. Mm -hmm. But it could be quite interesting. So I'm looking forward to doing that at some point. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's, that's most of... I think, have I done anything else magic related in the last while? Oh yeah, um, there was the deck that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. What was I saying about it again? <laughs> you had your, what, opportunity and Elixir of Immortality, or are you talking about the Black Red Sacrifice decks you've been playing? Oh, I can't remember. I might just have to not say anything. Okay. I, and my mind has just went completely blank. Oh, dang it. Oh well, never mind. Oh well. I did say I would get on to it later, but <laughs> people will just have to put up without it. I'm sure they'll cope. <laughs> cool. So, I guess we're pretty much done then. I think so, yeah. Right, I will say one thing before we go into the outro. If anyone wishes to fire us questions uh, via the Tumblr or the Facebook or the Twitters or what's the other thing? Gmail, yes, because barely ever use Gmail except for the competition. If anyone wants to fire us a question and your question gets in before we record our next show, we'll answer the question on air. So if anybody wants to take that opportunity to get our opinions on things, then you can do that. Yes. May also answer before then, but it'll definitely also answer on this show as well. Oh, actually, another thing, before we uh, sign off, um, I just wanted to say that when I was playing at the game day draft, because we'd done the game day draft in one of our local stores, I actually played in round two against a listener. So I just want to say hello to Brendan, and thanks very much for an awesome game, and for listening to the podcast. So, cool. shout out to you. Yay. Ooh. Awesome. It's nice to kind of meet someone that has listened to the podcast who isn't like someone that we knew from 
before. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was really cool. Awesome. But yeah, I think that's us. Right. Let us get on to the ways of how you can get in contact with us and ask us questions. We are on Tumblr at delvingintodraft.tumblr.com. We're on Facebook as Delving Into Draft. Our email address is delvingintodraft at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter as Rabbit underscore. Dan is Dark and Mad and Steve is Toe Jam Horse. Your host for this week were me, Craig, and you, Dan. That's me. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is a cannery and it is royalty free music licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Mm-hmm.